0: Welcome to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This podcast takes a chapter-by-chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam, and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. Please consider sharing it with family and friends and submitting a review on iTunes. In each episode, you will hear introductory remarks, a short flyover summary of the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse-by-verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern-day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. Moroni, Chapter 4 Well, we now have the privilege as we're moving through Moroni's section on ordinances in Moroni chapters 2 through 5 and his very unique chapter on church governance in Moroni chapter 6, we now have the privilege of looking at the specific language that is to be used in the ordinance of the sacrament. Sacrament is a word that's used more broadly in the broader Christian context. And from time to time, the word sacrament is used more broadly in our church as well. An example of this, I think, is in Elder Holland's seminal talk uh, at a BYU devotional many years ago, I think it was in the late 90s, called Of Souls, Symbols, and Sacraments. The word sacrament, then, might be defined more broadly simply as a rite, R-I-T-E, that denotes something of great or sacred significance. Elder Holland, in his previously mentioned talk of souls, symbols, and sacraments, says for our purpose here today, and by the way I missed the date of this talk by ten years when mentioning it a moment ago, it was given in January of 1988, but Elder Holland said for our purpose here today a sacrament could be any one of a number of gestures or acts or ordinances that unite us with God and his limitless powers. We are imperfect and mortal, He is perfect and immortal, but from time to time, indeed, as often as is possible and appropriate, we find ways and go to places, and create circumstances where we can unite symbolically with Him, and in doing so, gain access to His power. Those special moments of union with God are sacramental moments, such as kneeling at a marriage altar, or blessing a newborn baby, or partaking of the emblems of the Lord's Supper. This latter ordinance, Elder Holland continues, is the one we in the Church have come to associate most traditionally with the word sacrament, though it is technically only one of many such moments when we formally take the hand of God and feel His divine power. These are moments when we quite literally unite our will with God's will, our spirit with His spirit, where communion through the veil becomes very real. At such moments, we not only acknowledge His divinity, but we quite literally take something of that divinity to ourselves. Such are the holy sacraments. Well, the sacrament in question here, of course, in Moroni chapter 4 and in Moroni chapter 5, is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, or the way in which Elder Holland just put it, the emblems of the Lord's Supper. This ordinance is designed in such a way, it seems, to cast our minds back to the moment in the upper room, really, and there were other moments in Scripture when the Savior did something similar, but that great moment in the upper room when the Savior administered these sacred emblems to his apostles. He broke bread with them, blessed it, and gave it to them, and it was to cause them to consider his broken body, which would be sacrificed for them, and then by extension, of course, for us as we read that account in John. Then, of course, he gave them a cup, This cup was no doubt symbolic of the bitter cup that he was about to drink from. And this cup contained wine that was calculated to remind these disciples, and again by extension us, of the blood that was of necessity shed by this same Savior who would in that moment condescend most fully by descending below all things in the garden of Gethsemane and on the cross of Calvary. So as these apostles in the upper room partook of these emblems during this moment that is commonly referred to today as the Last Supper, they participated in a sacramental ordinance in just the way that Elder Holland described it a moment ago. At such moments, Elder Holland said, again, we quite literally take something of that divinity to ourselves, such are the holy sacraments. So, indeed, we do take these emblems of his broken flesh and of his blood and we internalize them. As a resurrected Lord, the Savior introduced the same ordinance to his disciples in the new world, and that is recorded in 3 Nephi chapter 18. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that Jesus commanded his disciples that they should bring forth some bread and wine unto him. And while they were gone for bread and wine, he commanded the multitude that they should sit themselves down upon the earth. So his disciples are involved in this, as well as the entire multitude. Verse 3 and when the disciples had come with bread and wine, he took the bread and brake it and blessed it, and he gave unto the disciples and commanded that they should eat. Then we see in verse 4 that the same privilege was extended to the multitude. Then verse 5 said, And when the multitude had eaten and were filled, he said unto the disciples, Behold, there shall be one ordained among you, and to him will I give power, that he shall break bread and bless it and give it unto the people of my church and to all those who shall believe and be baptized in my name. And this shall ye always observe to do, even as I have done, even as I have broken bread and blessed it and given it unto you. Then, lest they or we miss the point of what was happening during the sacred moment, the Savior told the people on that occasion, and he tells us as well, And this shall ye do in remembrance of my body, which I have shown unto you. And it shall be a testimony unto the Father that ye do always remember me. Then this connection between remembering him and the gift of the Holy Ghost, he says, And if ye do always remember me, ye shall have my spirit to be with you. In other words, I will ultimately ascend again unto the Father, but I will stay with you. I will abide with you in the form of the Holy Ghost. And very interestingly, that phrase abide with me is used in the Road to Emmaus story, and that story as well involved the breaking of bread. So we can see from the New Testament account of this sacred ordinance and the 3rd Nephi chapter 18 account, that like with other priesthood ordinances, these ways in which we access the Savior's saving power, there is careful continuity. That continuity continues to this very day. We use the same specific ancient language each week as members of the Church of Jesus Christ when we participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, or again, as Elder Holland put it, when we partake of the emblems of the Lord's Supper. So I think when we think of it this way, when in our modern era, a young priesthood holder approaches us with these very same emblems that the Savior himself broke and also offered in a cup and handed to his apostles. When a young priesthood holder approaches us with these same emblems, I think we would do well to see this young, and sometimes this young unkempt man, (laughs) as a proxy for the Lord himself, a Lord who is personally handing these sacred emblems to us through the hands of another. With that sacred connection in mind, And speaking of Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, he said recently in an April 2019 General Conference talk, Brothers and sisters, this hour ordained of the Lord is the most sacred hour of our week, meaning the hour of sacrament meeting. By commandment, we gather for the most universally received ordinance in the Church. It is in memory of him who asked if the cup he was about to drink could pass, only to press on because he knew that for our sake it could not pass. It will help us if we remember that a symbol of that cup is slowly making its way down the road toward us at the hand of an 11 or 12-year-old deacon. Well, let's go now and look at the text of this beautiful three-verse chapter, Moroni chapter 4. And again, it's in this chapter that Moroni introduces the sacramental ordinance, and specifically, he provides the prayer upon the bread. As we noted with ordinances that are given in the previous chapters of the book of Moroni, Moroni is not giving this to us in the abstract, but instead he's connecting it very specifically to the time when the resurrected Lord instituted this ordinance among his disciples. It's that time that we read of just a moment ago in 3 Nephi chapter 18. So let's go now to verse 1 for a reading. Verse 1, the manner of their elders and priests... Now this is continuity from the previous chapter because that's where elders and priests were ordained. So we're building upon that understanding here and speaking specifically, again, of the elders and priests of the early church that was organized by the Savior when he appeared to the Nephites. So the manner of their elders and priests administering the flesh and blood of Christ unto the church. And they administered it according to the commandments of Christ. Wherefore we know the manner to be true and the elder or priest did minister it. So Moroni is being very careful here to link what he's teaching to the teachings of the Lord. John Welch has noted this, writing that the close relationship between the words of Jesus in 3 Nephi chapter 18 and the basic terms of the sacrament prayers found in Moroni chapters 4 and 5 is readily apparent. Virtually every component in the two sacrament prayers has a precise counterpart in the express words of Jesus himself. Now Moroni will continue with his specific description of what these elders do during this ordinance, and also specifically what the prayer should say. So verse 2 says, And they did kneel down with the church, and did pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, saying, O God, the Eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread. So two things, it's being blessed and sanctified. To the souls of all those who partake of it. And we can remember that in the account given in 3 Nephi 18 that this bread was not only given to the disciples, but it was extended to the multitude. So this bread that is to be sanctified and blessed is extended to the souls of all who partake of it. Then the prayer continues, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy son. So there is the very specific connection that's being made between the broken bread in this sacred ordinance and the broken body of our savior as he subjected himself to those who broke it this of course is his great gift to us now as the prayer goes on we can see the covenantal nature of this prayer because there is a reciprocity that's taking place it's saying that even as the lord has done this thing for us as he has subjected his body in this way and has allowed for it to be broken we can make a gesture of appreciation in return for him. So there is the reciprocity. And in fact, according to King Benjamin, this reciprocal act of us always remembering him might serve to pay our debt to him. Yet, he continues to bless us because when we do this thing, which the prayer is about to describe, then he blesses us continually still with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the prayer continues by saying, and witness unto thee. So those who have partaken of this emblem of the bread are now witnessing unto God the eternal Father. So as it says, and witness unto thee, O God the eternal Father. And then three very specific things are listed, three things that we witness unto him in this moment. The first is this, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son. The second, and always remember him. And then the third, and keep his commandments which he has given them. So these are the three things that we commit to do in this sacred ordinance. It would seem at this point that the exchange between us and God is complete. He has done this marvelous and remarkable thing for us, and in return, we do these three things for him. And yet, at the end of this prayer, he gives us the additional transcendent blessing of his presence through his Spirit. Even though he has departed, he continues to abide with us as we abide by the terms of this particular covenant. And so the end of the prayer says, after we have acknowledged that we will do these three things, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. Amen. There's a great deal of available commentary on all of these concepts. Elder David A. Bednar has taught fairly recently to a group of church educators that when it comes to recognizing the promptings and the guidance of the Holy Ghost, it may be even more instructive for us who have been extended this blessing of having his spirit to always be with us, and that is the language of this prayer. It may be more beneficial for us to be cognizant of those times when we lose that influence or companionship, because the reality of this blessing is, according to Elder Bednar, that the Holy Ghost, contingent upon our worthiness, can truly be a constant companion for us. I don't know if a transcript has been made available of that particular talk, and it may still be available somewhere on uh, the church website. If I'm remembering correctly, it took place late in 2019. In fact, if anyone is aware of uh, where to find this particular talk, perhaps you could contact me on my website. Uh, For me, those statements by Elder Bednar on that occasion, with respect to the gift of the Holy Ghost, were are truly paradigm-shifting or shaping, so that's the best I can do, at least at the moment, in um, explaining where to find them. With respect to the first of the three agreements that we make in this prayer, where we say that we witness unto God the Eternal Father, that we are willing to take upon us the name of His Son, President Dallin H. Oaks has written the following, our witness that we are willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ has several different meanings. Some of these meanings are obvious and well within the understanding of our children. Others are only evident to those who have searched the Scriptures and pondered the wonders of eternal life. One of the obvious meanings renews a promise we made when we were baptized. Following the Scriptural pattern, persons who are baptized witness before the Church that they have truly repented of their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. That language is taken from Doctrine and Covenant, section 20, verse 37. When we partake of the sacrament, says President Oaks, we renew this covenant and all the other covenants we made in the waters of baptism. So in other words, the terms of our baptismal covenant are discussed in the sacramental prayer in this way. Then Elder Oaks continues by saying, As a second obvious meaning, we take upon us our Savior's name when we become members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. By his commandment, this church bears his name, and references are given there to section 115 verse 4, and of course when the Savior discusses this issue with the Nephite disciples in 3 Nephi chapter 27. Every member, young and old, is a member of the household of God, as Paul expressed it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. As true believers in Christ, as Christians, we have gladly taken his name upon us. As King Benjamin taught his people, because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters, for behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. That comes out of Mosiah chapter 5. We also take upon us the name of Jesus Christ whenever we publicly proclaim our belief in him, says President Oaks. Each of us has many opportunities to proclaim our belief to friends and neighbors, fellow workers, and casual acquaintances. A third meaning of taking upon us the name of Christ appeals to the understanding of those mature enough to know that a follower of Christ is obligated to serve Him. By witnessing our willingness to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, we signify our willingness to do the work of His kingdom. In these three relatively obvious meanings, We see that we take upon us the name of Christ when we are baptized in his name, one, when we belong to his church, two, and profess our belief in him, and three, when we do the work of his kingdom. So, a clear and beautiful piece of commentary by President Oaks, and as he ends it there, there is still the implication that there are other meanings of this concept that distill upon our souls as we serve in his kingdom and ponder the wonders of his gospel. The second injunction in this prayer, to always remember him, is also a concept, of course, that's worthy of discussion and for which there's a great deal of commentary. President Kimball has spoken uh, very eloquently about the need to remember and the power of remembrance. King Benjamin talked about the need for keeping the record continually before the eyes of his people. And so it is that we have a need to continually remember the role of the Savior and his power in our lives. Lewis Midgley has written very beautifully on this subject in a piece called Ways of Remembrance. He said the Book of Mormon provides us with direction from prophets who warn us to preserve and enlarge our own memory of God's mighty deeds and with the terms of the covenant that make us the people of God. These records teach us that we must neither forget what God has done nor what we have covenanted to do. The result of forgetting is to begin following some unholy tradition into darkness and sin. Instead, we must always remember him, and keep his commandments, and be willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, for to forget the sacrifice offered by our Lord for our sins by not keeping the commandments is to offend God. On another occasion, Midgley has written, in a piece called O Man, Remember, the Book of Mormon constantly reminds its readers to remember. Nephi concluded his account of Lehi's prophecies by saying, Therefore remember, O man. For all thy doings thou shalt be brought into judgment. King Benjamin punctuated his covenantal speech with the plea, O oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Jesus himself placed the Nephites in bountiful under covenant to always remember him and to keep the commandments that he had given them. And uh, that can be seen in 3 Nephi 18, verse 7. And of course, then it's rehearsed here in Moroni chapters 4 and 5. Midgley continues, From numerous statements like these, It is evident that remembering is a saving principle of the gospel. Just as faith looks forward in Christ to actualize the present power of his redemption, so remembrance looks back on covenants and gifts from God and keeps the past alive. I think in that beautiful piece of commentary by Lewis Midgley, he also has given us such an eloquent definition of faith by saying that faith looks forward in Christ to actualize the present power of his redemption. There is much to ponder upon there. Well, the third injunction in this prayer, of course, is for us to keep his commandments, something that has been discussed already in these pieces of commentary, and which in many ways is um, our most reliable way and consistent way of demonstrating our faith in Christ. During his last moments with his apostles, in fact, the Savior spoke of the connection between loving him and keeping his commandments. That's the reciprocity that he requires then, since he has loved us in such a profound way, and since the Father has demonstrated his love for us by condescending to send his only begotten Son so that he too could condescend, and as I mentioned earlier, descend below all things for us. Well, thankfully, it is our regular opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ to participate in the ordinance that allows us to partake of these emblems and to repeat this prayer. It's so rich in content and deep with meaning that all of us can spend the rest of our days continually returning to this prayer and to this ordinance and considering its terms and realigning ourselves each week, if possible, with the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving power. Well, our next chapter will cover the same content but it will give us the manner of administering the wine in this sacred ordinance. So we have that to look forward to. For now, this brings us to the end of Moroni chapter four. Thank you for listening to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This podcast has recently reached 100,000 listens and has been heard in many parts of the world. I love hearing from you. If you have the time to reach out to me, as many of you have, to share episodes on social media, and to write a review on iTunes, you will greatly help my efforts to get this podcast to even more listeners and help them in their experience with the Come Follow Me curriculum. I want to acknowledge the resources that have helped me prepare this and previous episodes of this podcast. The Book of Mormon Institute Manual, Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner's verse-by-verse commentary on the Book of Mormon, and the revised edition of Thomas R. Book of Mormon Study Guide have provided me with rich and insightful commentary. Introductions, chapter analyses, and sectional divisions are my own. Parallel passages of Scripture, as well as general conference addresses that come to mind, also play a prominent role in this podcast, as do my own thoughts and writings. For them, and any errors that you find in them, I, of course, am solely responsible. I hope that this podcast has had the effect of drawing you to the scriptural text, a text that is endlessly rich with detail and generously adorned with truths that help us navigate through our own exile story and mortality. I have found, and hope that you have too, that carefully studying the Word, particularly in the Book of Mormon, has the inevitable benefit of drawing us closer to its author, Jesus the Christ. I offer my witness that His attention is fixed upon us. He delights to bless us and to honor our efforts to come to know Him better. So, have a wonderful day. Keep in touch. And thank you for listening.